Christina Pajitsky. Thank you for downloading this episode of That's Deep Bro. Uh, I'm so excited. It's it's oh, had so many breakthroughs this week as a human being. I can't wait to share with you uh, some revelations I've had. Because you know what? We're going into 2017 very soon, which is bananas to even say 2017. <laughs> um, for somebody that was born in the 1970s, I feel like uh, just a thousand years like light years have passed since I was born. And and why don't I have the thing in the Jetsons where they, it just does your hair? Remember that thing, that, the helmet that came down and just did people's hair? And Rosie, the um, robot made butler, where is all that? First things first, um, I hope you had a great Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. And uh, we're, we're over it, guys. It's done. It's done. The holidays are over. I hope they went well for you. But as I'm recording this, um, I haven't had mine yet. But I put down some goddamn boundaries on how it's going to go down. Number one, no turds allowed. So I've only invited uh, family or friends that I dig. Um, number two, uh, boundaries on certain people's behavior that come to my house, right? Certain family members that maybe in the past... Uh, haven't adhered to those requests. Now they must. So we'll we'll see how that. I'll, I'll let, fill you in. This is I know. This is like a Back to the Future type of thing. I'm talking about talking about the past that hasn't happened yet. It makes no sense. Um, okay. First of all, oh man, come see me do stand up in 2017. Um, I'm super excited to to do some road dates. I'm going to be doing well. First of all, February 12th. Your mom's house. Tommy and I are doing the podcast live at the Irvine Improv, February 12th. Get your tickets at uh, thousandranch.com. Also, May 4th and May 4th, uh, May 4th and 5th, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live. May 19th through 20th, New York City at Gotham Comedy Club. June 16th and 17th, San Francisco at the Punchline. Wow, talk about a stellar lineup for for Mrs. P already this uh, 2017. I'm going to add more stuff, but right now that's where it's at. Um, yeah, so that's good. Thank you for those of you that did your Christmas shopping using uh, my banner on that's the bro podcast dot com, um, and I'd appreciate if you kept using my banner to do your Amazon shopping. I'm uh, hooked on Amazon Fresh now uh, because I don't have Instacart in my new neighborhood, which is total dog shit. Like I, I can't even believe that Instacart dare not deliver to my uh, zip code. So I'm, I've had to resort to Amazon Fresh, and it's been fantastic so far. No complaints. Um, but use it if you haven't. It's it's a pretty damn great service. It's it's, it's like all organic stuff, and uh, they deliver it right to your door, which is the only way to live. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, let's get into it. Um, you know, I was looking for a song and it's so, it's rainy today in LA, which is of course the anomaly. I just love it. I love gloomy days in LA. It's so special because there's like five of these growing up here that I had and um, oh, I love it. For some reason, I've got Donnie Darko in my head. 
what a if you haven't seen Donnie Darko, get your life and watch it. Um, it's super weird, and I don't, I'm not even sure I know what happens, so I can't really tell you the plot because it's so fucking bizarro. But speaking of uh, time travel, it's a little bit about that. Anyway, this song is in it, and there's this great opening shot that's one continual shot, I believe, without edits, and it's like a great establishing shot to this song. Anyway, okay, bye. When I was a little girl, MTV used to show music videos, and they showed this video, not this one, it was Shout, the the song was called Shout, and I remember it was a video with these two nerds, and they had um, bob haircuts, these two dorks, and they had bad teeth, and they were earnestly singing on um, a cliff. You know, like the kind where the their elbows are bent and clenched in fists and they're so fired up about what they're singing about. And I remember being a little girl and being like, these guys are fucking lame, bro. Like, <laughs> these two do not get laid. And I've, I've kind of been a closeted Tears for Fears fan my, my entire life because they're just like, they're not cool. They make amazing music, though. That's the... That's the problem with Tears for Fears is that they're really talented bros, but the videos were just fucking lame, man. I don't know. Maybe they got cooler later on. I'm hoping, but that song's pretty dope. They're pretty, they're pretty deep. I, I want to say they're like Irish. They're definitely, um, I think they're UK people. They're not, they're not American. That's for sure. All them queer singing on cliffs and whatnot. <laughs> Ernest talking bullshit. <sighs> So, uh, so yes, I'm sitting here and, um, I'm wearing, believe it or not, my athletic gear. Cause I'm going to go uh, do the Pilates thing after this, after I'm done recording, dear God, I try not to think about it too much. The key to any physical regimen or diet or ex- just, just fucking do it. Like, I don't think about it. I don't want to brood. I don't want to, um, get in my head. I don't want to think about how much it's going to suck. 
You know what I'm saying? Like I've decided to just be a fucking Marine about this and, and just go for it. I'm not, I'm just going to soldier through this and it's been good. I've, I'm down six pounds. I'm stronger than I've ever been, which is crazy how fast my body responded to exercise. (laughs) It was like a desperate my body was desperate for some form of physical activities it was like thanking me for doing this so um i'm stoked 2017 i'm gonna keep up with the regime i'm gonna keep it up so 2017 is upon us and i know it's the era of um, instagram resolutions and people posting nostalgic photos from 2016 and and um, and the resolution thing. What what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do with ourselves? And it's so easy to make these kind of uh, cosmetic mm, bullshit <laughs> resolutions, right? Like I'm gonna lose weight. I'm I'm gonna stop smoking. I'm gonna not eat candy. Um, I'm gonna be nicer to people. Whatever. And I and those are all wonderful things to one. I'm not um, dissing any of those. But did I just say dissing? God, I'm so embarrassed. Um, The point is, let's go deeper on it because bros, that's what the show is all about. Let's really fucking go. Let's go deep on 2017. And what does that mean? That means going a layer beneath the superficial thing we're talking about and going to the root of it because that's the only way to get rid of it, right? Is to go to the root, the heart, the the heart of darkness, if you will, and um, and and work some stuff out and and get scared and get weird and, and have feelings about things. Um, so I had this wonderful breakthrough this week in therapy that I thought I would share with you guys because let's face it, I have no boundaries and the show is way more interesting, I think, when I come from somewhere personal because, listen, if somebody listening resonates with a fraction, a part, a morsel of what I'm saying, I think that it's going to, I think it's worthwhile sharing. So so let's start from the beginning. I, I um, got into a phase where I was listening to a woman named Marianne Williamson a lot now, Marianne Williamson is one of the original pioneers of the self-help movement in Los Angeles around the 1980s. The same time a woman named Louise Hay was on the scene. These these two broads um, basically were at the beginning of all the self-help. And Wayne Dyer, he wasn't in LA. I don't know if fuck Wayne Dyer was. The point is, these broads were here during the AIDS epidemic, and they were um, dealing with a lot of death and a lot of scariness in the AIDS community. And Marianne Williamson kind of went deep on helping people. And Louise Hay came up with this wonderfully, really accessible, um, how do I put this? Like just a really accessible way of getting into the self-help thing. And if you want to dip your toe into psychology and helping yourself and growth and all this spiritual stuff and and about healing your body. That's what Louise Hay more talks about too. She believes that a lot of our ailments in our body are related to emotional things. And I really agree with this because I remember one time I had eczema, like, uh, this is like eight years ago. I just, I broke out into eczema and I never had that in my life, just never in my life. And um, I was coincidentally on the road with somebody who would just push all my buttons constantly. And I was in like this constant state of anxiety and depression and like mania. I mean, basically this person I was hanging out with was um, a, a carbon copy of my mother. So I was kind of like reliving all this childhood stuff, all this trauma over and over and kind of not knowing it because I hadn't worked through it in therapy yet. And actually this friendship with this person not only gave me the gift of eczema, 
but gave me so much anxiety and so much distress that I was like, I have to see a therapist because I am losing control of my life. I am fucking spiraling. My skin is breaking out. Something is wrong with me. I need help. And that was my breaking point to seeing the therapist that I've been working with for years now and who's completely changed my life. Thank God. Thank God. Um, so the point being, there's Louise Hay who deals with the some of the, the body stuff. So if you've got some weird ailment, sometimes it's connected to the emotional. So there's a book called You Can Heal Your Life that Louise Hay wrote. And there's also some wonderful audio downloads on iTunes. Um, I like to listen to her morning and evening meditations before I go to bed. Just have it playing and it's kind of like a positive little thing to to send you off into the unconscious realm. You know, I don't like to watch murder shows like my husband does before bed. I, it makes me bonkers when Tom, I'm like, I fall asleep before my husband all the time and he's usually watching television and it's like the blood was splattered everywhere and Cindy was dead in her apartment with her dog licking the blood off. And like, dude, I can't, I can't hear that stuff and then, and then go unconscious because I'll dream about it. Like I'm super sensitive to all that stuff. <laughs> so I try to go to bed with like positive energy, right? Um, so Louise Hay is great. She also talks about prosperity and attracting money and, but prosperity comes in all forms and she talks about love and she talks about, um, you know, self-care. Cause I think a lot of people that have been through trauma don't know about self-care, hence me starting to exercise at 40, which is, you know, I, I wish I would have started earlier, but Hey, I'm here now, but I, but we know we struggle with stuff like that. And Louise Hay is a wonderful resource for that. So that's the, the entry level. I would say the JV squad is Louise Hay. And then when you're ready to go into varsity and you're ready to get your fucking mind bent, check out Marianne Williamson and her big book in the nineties was called a return to love. And, um, it's based on A Course in Miracles, which is a spiritual psychology text, meaning the the points are about just basic psychology, right? But it's an added spiritual component. It's based on, you know, I don't know, maybe Christianity and Judaism. There's a, a Western kind of concept of a God. It's not like, it doesn't, I know it does, it does talk about Jesus. Sorry. So it is kind of rooted in Christianity, but not in the ways that you would traditionally associate Jesus or the stories of the Bible, blah, blah, blah. So you, you know what I mean? Like you grow up thinking of it a certain way. The Course in Miracles kind of deconstructs that and and makes Christianity a bit more um, symbolic, accessible, applicable to the entire world. Anyways, um, so Marianne, I've listened to her for years. She speaks here in Los Angeles. I think now she's in New York, but she would give these talks every week at the Saban Theater um, Mondays or Tuesday nights, I can't remember. And um, and a few times I've gone to see her and just had my mind blown. Um, she's like just the best. Her work has been so helpful to so many of us uh, nutbags that love her. And uh, so Course in Miracles, which by the way, I, I, I run for the hills when somebody's like, oh, it's a spiritual religious, like, oh gosh, like that to me is just, I want to vomit. And, um, you know, mostly because of the tradition that religion, you know, you just, you get like, I get, I got spooked on it, but I really have found over the years that therapy is fantastic and necessary to heal from whatever stuff you may be coming out of, but without a spiritual component, it's, it's harder. And I don't know why, but I, I just know that 
by adding like meditation or belief in a higher power, which I know why they do that in AA, it kind of takes the pressure off of you as a tiny human floating in outer space. It, it, it gives you a sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself, which is really helpful. And, and it does take the burden off of you to know everything all the time. And, um, so yeah, so I, that's why I like the spiritual component to things. Cause you know what, as, as I studied philosophy, I'm very steeped in reason <laughs> and I know that, um, religion is, is non-reason. It's in fact faith. And what is faith? It's, it's a, a leap of faith is to digress from reason. So, but it's also kind of, uh, we don't know everything. Humans don't know everything. There's no way uh, we know there, there are mysteries to existence, lots of mysteries that are not solved. And so why not fill in the blanks with some uh, woo-wee, woo-woo spiritual crap? Why not? Why not believe in a God? Does it fucking hurt you so bad to, to posit the existence of, of something, some guiding force to all of this? It just helps. Let's be honest. It just helps. It's kind of a, a useful thing for me. I don't fucking know. Okay. So for years and years, when I lived by the beach, I would put Marianne Williamson in my ears, my earbuds, and I would go on these uh, vision quest walks, right? I, I've always, Nietzsche said the best way to deal with stuff is to go for a walk. And that's not how he said it. But basically, if you go for a walk, you clear your mind and you can come up with solutions in order to get away from a problem. I'm sorry, not to get away from a problem, but to come up with a solution for a problem, the best way is to get out of the environment of the problem, right? Perspective, distance. That's why travel is so important and so therapeutic because you're, you're, you get away from the stuff that is bothering you temporarily. And in that realm of temporary relief from whatever is bothering you, maybe a creative solution will come into your mind and because you're stimulated by stuff that you're not normally uh, seeing, right? You're, you're inspired by things, people, places, um, and that, but that is unfortunately why like you can move and you can travel and your problems might still follow you, but maybe you're better equipped because of certain circumstances that have changed, blah, blah, blah. So Marianne Williamson has this wonderful idea that for years and years, when I would go on my vision quest walks on the beach I I would hear the stuff, you know, when you hear things, but you're not ready to understand them, you know, someone can say something and then a part of it kind of makes sense. And you're like, I just, I can't wrap my brain around this idea. And she has this idea that's taken from A Course in Miracles. And the idea is that we create what we defend against. We create what we defend against. And for the longest time, I'm like, I, that makes, when do I create that I'm, I don't even understand the fucking phrasing of that. Like, what, what kind of bullshit is this? You know, like, come on, man, give me an affirmation. Like, give me like something that's concrete. Like I fucking what? And, um, so I had this incident that I will share with you because I think it's a wonderful example of creating what we defend against. Now, for those of you just tuning into the show for the very first time and you don't know me or my background, I grew up with a mentally ill mother who was a border, she had borderline personality disorder and later became schizophrenic. And um, my parents divorced when I was four. My dad likes the alcohol and the women. Uh, so there's a lot of chaos 
growing up. And I, as a result, I've, I've gone through therapy and I, I advocate to anybody. That's why I'm such a big person of therapy because if I can save my life, but, um, the point being, I, I don't have a, I had a child a year ago and I don't have a great blueprint for what it is to be a mom. I know, I know how not to be a good mom because my mother, unfortunately, not that it's her fault, but she was mentally ill and, and didn't do stuff the way I would prefer to do it, um, for my kid. So I don't have, I don't have a good guideline for that stuff. And I, and I think that goes for a lot of things. If those of us who grow up in a, an environment where we see bad examples, you grow up and you do what's familiar. And that doesn't mean you do what's right or what's best. You do what's familiar to you. And it doesn't necessarily feel good, but it feels familiar. And that's the danger of leading a life unexamined, right? The unexamined life is not worth living. That's Socrates. I love that one. That's probably the, if you want to put some shit on my tombstone, put that one on it. Because if you're not examining what you're doing, why, and you come from a background that's a little dicey, um, you can be repeating the same thing that your folks were going through that generations of trauma and whatever. And I'm, I'm done dudes. Like I can't, I can't pass this stuff on to my kiddo. I refuse to do this. So, so a lot of my struggle has been to separate myself from my mother and from, um, my background. Cause I'm deeply, deeply not happy with the, with the way I was raised. I, you know, some of it was okay. But no, nah, not really. Let's not lie. Uh, <laughs> most of it, not okay. So I really, really work, work and stay conscious at being different towards my kid. And um, now here's the, here's the rub. Here is the rub. Creating what we defend against. So I don't want to be my mom. That's my guiding thought, right? I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be like my mom. That's kind of my mantra, my unconscious mantra. But the fact is I really can't be entirely like my mom because, well, number one, I'm not mentally ill as far as I know. And uh, I'm not doing the same thing she was doing, but I still have this unconscious sort of fear, this irrational thing, this thing playing in my head. I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be like my mom. So if I'm going to do the opposite of what my mom did to me, um, I'm going to be the perfect mom, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here all the time. I'm going to be focused on my kid. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to, I'm going to buy them all the toys. I'm going to be the best, right? The best at this thing. Cause I'm, I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm not going to be like my mom. But what happened in my journey, my quest of not being like my mom is that I became neurotic about being not like my mom, right? Neurotic. It became an obsession. It became a hindrance. It became a thing, a neuroticism of, of I've got to be the best. And I actually ended up putting myself into like a a state of total anxiety and total resentment at the situation. Resentment at being a mother, resentment, resenting my husband, resenting the whole thing. God damn it. I don't even want to be a parent now because I got so fed up with not being perfect at it. I'm trying, I'm just trying so hard to not be this. And I ended up becoming the very thing I didn't want to be meaning resentful, angry, anxious. And who was like that? You guessed it, my mother. (laughs) Basically, I created what I defended against. In my trying so, so, so hard not to be that thing, I ended up becoming that thing. Now, not in the same exact way, but I ended up getting there emotionally 
do I, I don't know how, why this rule works. It's the unconscious mind. I think what happens is you become so locked into doing something, right? For instance, let's say you want a relationship, okay? You're like, oh, fuck, I want a relationship. I want a boyfriend. Oh my God, I want a boyfriend. I want a boyfriend. I want a girlfriend. I want a boyfriend. I want a... And you finally meet somebody. Oh my God, I don't want to lose this. If I lose this, I will be devastated. If I lose this person, oh my God, if I lose this boyfriend, I'm going to be alone. I won't have a child. I won't have a family. I'll be a fucking loser. I'll be homeless, right? The, the, the catastrophe of losing the thing starts to set in. I have to make this work. I have to make this work. I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the best girlfriend I can think of. I'm going to be the most amazing girlfriend. Oh, I know. He's out with his guy friends right now on a guy's night. What if I show up to surprise him at the bar? Yeah, I'm going to surprise him at the bar and he'll be really stoked to see me and he's going to love me even more. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Because what happens is, right, in your quest to, to defend against being a neurotic, overbearing, needy, thirsty, as the kids say, I learned that on younger um, person, right? You went overboard, you overcompensate because you're trying to not do that behavior. So what you're going to do is steer the boat all the way in the other direction and you're going to act out of the neuroses. You're going to come from a place of neurotic and you're going to act in ways that are actually going to create the situation that you are trying not to have come to light, Right? We all know that. I can't get fired. I can't get fired. Oh my God, I can't get fired. If I get fired, this will be disastrous. I'm going to be out on the streets. And then what happens? Oh shit, I woke up late. I can't believe, how did I wake up late? Well, because you fucking unconsciously sabotaged yourself. Maybe you didn't set your alarm because you're stressing out so bad about making this thing work for you that you will not act rationally because you're not focused. You're not in a calm, centered, spiritual serene place. You're not in a place of love, as Marianne Williamson would say. You're not coming from a place of of calm, decisive, reasonable action. You're coming from the place of the wound, as Marianne Williamson would say, the neuroses. And that's exactly what I was doing. I don't want to be my mom. I don't want to be my mom. Well, guess what? I ended up acting exactly in ways that my mom did. (laughs) Now, thank God I have a shrink to talk to about this one, right? So what do I do? What do you do? Oh my God, what do I do? And then I just realized like, oh, this is kind of a pattern. You know, I've had this, I had this in college when I went to college. I had to be the best student because if I'm not straight A student, I will get sent home and there's nothing worse than living at home with my crazy parents. Therefore, I have to get a 4.0 GPA and I made myself sick and I got the shingles and I didn't sleep. And like, it was a nightmare because on my mind, there's so much at stake that I have to do this right. And a lot of us have this with career. I had it for years. If I'm, if I'm a fucking failure, I will cease to exist. If I'm a failure, I will stop existing. I will just be a loser. And then if I'm a loser, my parents are right. They were fucking right that I'm a loser. My family was right. I'm a fucking loser. <laughs> I can't, I can't not succeed. The stakes are so high. And when the stakes are so, 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 so high, that's when we fuck it up, right? When we put so much value on one thing being our savior, being the thing that's going to make everything right. And what happens is you realize, at least I've realized that my kid is fine. The kid's fine. Let me tell you, he's more than fine. He's enormous. He's as big as an 18 month old. He's developmentally on point. He waves high. He smiles. He laughs. He's happy. He feeds himself. He says little things. Mama, hi, hi, hi. He's great. I didn't fuck him up. He lived a year and he's fine. 
despite my efforts at being perfect, he turned out fine. And then you also realize, um, I mean, pertaining to motherhood and children, that a lot of the, uh, the stuff about motherhood that is in popular culture and in the media, it's a lot of fucking bullshit. And I drank the Kool-Aid on a lot of stuff, man. I drank the fucking Kool-Aid and I didn't want to. And it starts from the beginning, the mommy Kool-Aid, right? It starts from the very beginning. Well, you're pregnant. Are you eating right? What are you eating? I hope you're not doing hot dogs. Are you, are you going to uh, microwave the bologna because you know there's bacteria in the bologna? And are, you, are you eating bologna in the first place? That is disgusting. Oh, don't you dare have a glass of wine when you're pregnant. Your child's going to come out with five heads if you don't take the right vitamins. And then labor. Did you have drugs? Oh, I hope you didn't do drugs. I hope you did it naturally because if you don't do it naturally, then the child experience and you're not going to feel the birth and the hormones. And, gang, gang, boo, boo, boo. and then breastfeeding. Did you breastfeed? Did you not breastfeed? I can't believe you didn't breastfeed. For how long did you breastfeed? I breastfed for 5,272 weeks until his first week in college because people say college can be stressful and I wanted to support my baby. And then preschool. What preschool did you enroll in? Are you in the right district? Because you know there's a charter school. Like it's, it's, it's nonstop, nonstop pressure to be a perfect mom. And not only that, you know what a lot of crap I've heard? Well, you know, this, uh, this time, this babyhood, my favorite was my mother-in-law who meaning well, and who, I don't know, maybe did feel this way. You know, Christina, you must cherish every minute of this first year, (laughs) which I don't know if you've um, raised a child from its first year, but not every moment is to be cherished. I don't know about you, but when my kid's whiny and screaming and has a diaper full of man-scented shit now because he eats table food, like, dude, and I'm cleaning up diapers and he's crying and I'm tired and I just want to sit down and eat like a human because I haven't had a fucking meal sitting down in a year now. And uh, all I want to do is just sit down and zone out and I can't because I'm alone with this kid. Like, that's what I'm talking about, that every moment is not sacred with your children. And Jesus Christ, they're just people too, you know? They're not these sacred cherubic vessels all the time. Like, yeah, they're amazing. My kids, my my lifeblood, I would take a bullet. I would, I would uh, do anything for Ellis. Obviously, I'm not a monster, but my God, this mythology of of that everything is fucking sacred that your kids do and you have to enjoy everything is just not accurate. It's not truthful. And then I'm made to feel like shit because I'm not enjoying every minute of his babyhood. Like, dear God, I mean, look, we love this kid. Right now, as we speak on our walls, there's it's littered. There's no wall space because we framed every photograph of this child. He's so beloved. Rooms full of toys that he hasn't even gotten to yet because he's so beloved. But as a mom goes, as I go, I can't, I can't drink this Kool-Aid anymore. And I had to admit to myself that, A, yeah, I'm not my mom. I got it. And B, maybe I'm the kind of mom that doesn't want to be home all the time with her kid. You know, maybe I enjoy having outside interests. And it was really hard for me to admit that to myself because it meant that, yeah, I was a little bit like my mom because my mom worked. And I I thought if I was the opposite of her that I would heal this whole thing and that's just not accurate. So there you go. My big epiphany, guess what? I don't think I'm a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> I can't do it. And and I'm not denigrating anybody that does. My God, my cousin is like so good at it. 
my cousin is an amazing stay-at-home mom. I mean, she makes like these awesome birthday parties for her kids that she spends weeks on. She just fucking loves it, loves it, loves every minute of, of, of the whole thing. And there's so many women that do. And dude, do that then. If that's what fulfills you and makes you happy, that's amazing. Fucking, yeah, do that. And I don't think society gives enough credit to the women that stay home and, and do this shit. It's the fucking hardest thing in the world to stay home with a kid. Because A, no one gives you high fives for it. Nobody send, cuts you a check at the end of that week and like thanks you for your service. It's really thankless. And it's thankless when your kids are like acting shitty and you're like, oh man, like, <laughs> what do you mean? They're just people too. They're people. They're like cats that, you know, they'll give you affection every now and then, but they don't fucking, you know, they're doing their own thing. Kids are doing their own thing, man. So that was my big epiphany. Um, and there you have it, creating what we defend against. I mean, and what's the answer? The solution here is just to stay awake, stay cognizant, and 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 talk to somebody about this stuff. Because, you know, yeah, you can go like, oh, shit, I'm looping. I'm in this loop right now where I'm creating what I'm defending against. But how do I get out of it? Well, you get out of it by going, oh, I'm being neurotic here. This doesn't feel good. And I remember... I mean, I don't know, a couple episodes back, I was like, I don't feel good. Remember, I was like, I feel like I'm ennui, like some kind of malaise. Like, I didn't feel good. And I think that's a huge indicator is how are you feeling when you're doing something? Does it feel like shit? It's probably not the right path for you. You know, it's not, you're not doing it the way that's going to work for you. And like, I'm not good at feelings, you know, that I'm so fucking uncomfortable. And one of the most uncomfortable things that's happened over Christmas is like people write me cards, like my people that I'm acquaintances with. I have a really hard time reading like emotional cards for people that I know in in life. Like I, Oh, I hate it. Like, I just, I don't know what to say. I, it's so weird. I think my mom wrote me a lot of over emotional cards and I was always like, Oh shit, I don't want to fucking answer this. Like, how do I, what do you answer? (laughs) That's not to say from you guys. I I enjoy it from strangers because I oddly feel more comfortable conversing deeply with strangers than I do with actual people um, in my life. Like it makes me so uncomfortable um, when like my in-laws tell me they love me or like, um, you know what I mean? Like my husband, I can tolerate it, but I just, I get so, like if my dad says he loves me, I'm always like, ugh, like I just... I can't, I can't take it. It's too much. It's too close. It's too close. That's so fucked up, right? <laughs> oh man. But Hey, I'm learning. I'm, I'm getting better at it every day. Um, which brings me to 2017 and on the tangent of this thought, uh, there's a few things I got going around in my brain. Creating what we defend against was huge. And then, um, well, let's go into well, living small. That's another another tangent of this thought, is living small. Um, what does that mean? Well, um, there's this great documentary on Netflix about this guy who was in a camp in North Korea his whole life, raised in this terrible labor camp in North Korea because his family had committed some stupid crime and they're all paying for it. It's a nightmare, right? His existence is just dog shit. And he's liberated, finally, from the North Korean prison camp. And he's sent to South Korea, and he's given a whole new life. 
right? And he's riding subways for the first time and he's eating awesome food for the first time. And, you know, there's a montage, like he's at McDonald's and he's having a cheeseburger and it's like, great. And he, he gets to have this dope ass apartment and there's a beautiful bed and there's beautiful things. And, um, and what they found was that this guy, rather than sleeping in the mattress, enjoying the nice things, was kind of living the same way he was as he lived in North Korea in a state of deprivation. So he would do things like they come in in the morning and he wouldn't be laying in his mattress, on his mattress, he'd be sleeping on the floor because that's what he'd become accustomed to in North Korea. And he would be eating the same shit that he ate in North Korea as opposed to like the healthy, nutritious South Korean food. And he didn't really acclimate to the the consumerism of South Korea. He's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself. Why, why would I want a job? Why? Just to buy things? And then what? And then what? Like he couldn't wrap his head around consumerism, which is probably smart. Um, and he was... He was living in a free world, but living as though he were still a slave to the old regime, which is fascinating to me because that's what I think a lot of people do. That's what everybody does unless you learn differently, right? And living small, like I think is something I tried to do a lot. Like I I remember um, in my 20s and part of my 30s, I... I kept, um, I had this thing where I, I knew I wanted to become a comedian. So there was a purpose to my madness, but I, uh, I kept my costs of living really low, right? Like I, I made sure that my rent could be met with ease. So I didn't overextend myself financially. I had no credit card debt. I rented a car, not rented, leased a car. Um, that was really inexpensive. I kept my overhead low for many, many, many years. And for the purpose of pursuing, excuse me, pursuing a creative uh, career. I want, I knew I, I couldn't, I wanted to do that. So I set myself up for it. Right. Now what happened was eventually I started to earn money and I became more and more successful in what I was doing. And, but I was still living in my North Korea, right? Like I was still keeping the overhead ridiculously low. And I was living as though I was still very poor and very, in a survival mode, you know what I mean? Um, so when I met Tom, um, I was using a television that I had since 1989 that my father bought me. It was a Toshiba and it survived the earthquake in 1994. It fell off my dresser face down and it still lived. And so from 1989 to 2005, I used the same television, which to me, it's still not a big deal. I don't know. My husband thinks I'm bananas that I would never update technology. I don't care. A TV is a TV. I don't give a shit. But to him, it was appalling that I would use this television from the 80s. And he promptly bought me a new one, which was amazing and sweet and kind. Um, but I was still living in in my old way of survival, right? The way my parents taught me to live, the way of the communist survival thing of there's never enough. There won't be enough. You better hoard everything you have. You never know when the shit's going to hit the fan. Like that survival mode that my folks grew up in because they grew up in a, a war, a wartime uh, era. They grew up in Hungary during communism. Uh, the Russians uh, occupied the Eastern 
European countries. They annexed them. It was called the Eastern Bloc. And so they grew up with the, you know, standing in lines for toilet paper and bananas, um, maybe eating meat once a year. Uh, your neighbor's getting taken away in the middle of the night because the, they hadn't ratted out. Oh, no, they had spoken out against the government or some bullshit, and the KGB would come and, and take them away. So, like, I had inherited a bunch of irrational, not actually quite rational for them, but irrational once we lived in America. Because my parents, it's not like you arrive in this country and you go, oh, all right, we're free now? Great. Well, let's throw away all this crap that I was raised on. Like, it's just not that simple. And I inherited a lot of this wartime um, ethic. You know, work hard, hoard it away, keep your life simple, keep your life small, and um, no harm can come to you because you can always just get up and leave. I can always escape, right? If the Russians come sweeping through, which they fucking might by now, um, but uh, you, you should always be able to, to survive. And so I lived this way for many, many, many years, and I desperately wanted a dog. I remember uh, as long as I have been in a person, I've loved having dogs, and I wanted a dog desperately uh, in my late 20s. And I thought, I, I can't have a dog. I can't have a dog because if I, I, I take care of the dog. And it's like, that's such a fucking big thing. And it would make me really happy. But how? How will I have a dog? I can't, I can't take care. And there's this whole thing of, you know, that would make my life too big. That would make my life too broad to extend it into loving this dog. And I remember I finally I got married and that was terrifying for me that I had to extend my world by that much. I had to trust another human. I had to merge bank accounts. I had to merge resources. That was terrifying for me because that meant opening up my small world. And then we got a dog. And that was like just so happy. I was so happy to have this dog finally, but also very scary because now now my world is cracking open even more. Oh my God, I'm out of control. I'm out of control. <laughs> and then came a second dog. I'm out of control. But I love it. I simultaneously, I just I loved expanding my world, and then it came a baby. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! And you get more and more out of control, in a sense, if you think like me. If you come from North Korea, if you come from a place of I have to keep it small, because if I keep it small, I can control all of it all the time, and I'll feel safer. I'll feel better. So when you're trying to get out of living small, it's also very terrifying, right? Because you don't know what the fuck. But you're not in control. And it's scary, but there's rewards, right? There's rewards for taking the risk. That's everything in life. There's risks and reward, and you have to take the risks because you can't you can't keep it small forever, folks. Because if you do, you're just fucking miserable. That's my point. And there's some people that have so much trauma and so much baggage, and are so wounded and so hurt that they keep it small and keep it small, and that's sad. Because you don't want to live that way. It's fucking depressing because it's scary. It's scary to get out of living small. I know that because you don't know what's on the other side, right? Can I do this? I, I never grew up with this. I don't know how to do this. And you do it and it's scary for a while. And then you learn how to do that thing because we're learnable, teachable, adaptable beings, which is the wonderful part of being a human. And then you get over yourself. You get over the fear, the anxiety of the unknown and you grow and you expand and expand and expand and expand. So 2017, how are we going to get out of living small? That's all I'm looking for is expansion. Expansion, right? Expansion. Getting bigger all the time. That's the human, that's the goal, right? Of the human race, expansion in all ways. 
Who said that? Patty Smith, right? We went to the moon. Now what? Now where are we going to go? We're going to go to Mars. Now what? It's all about going further, man, pushing the boundaries, getting further and further out there, pushing past your own limitations. Oof, it's fucking scary. Which brings me to my last point, which I loved. I saw the new Star Wars movie, uh, Rogue, Rogue One. I don't know where it lays in the fucking Star Wars world. I was thoroughly confused who's who and what the... I don't know. I don't know what the who this thing is and what the point i don't fucking know i what i do know is i like the story i like i love the characters and um i'm not going to give away too much but uh, a lot of these lucas films uh, it's a lot of it is the father theme right finding the father loss of the father loss of the mother and it got me thinking about the orphan mythology um if you notice a lot of our favorite characters are orphans in popular culture. Harry Potter being one of my absolute favorite orphans. Annie, we know Annie. Um, Luke is is an orphan in a sense, right? From, from yeah, he is an orphan. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the quest for the, the parent. Superman is orphaned. Uh, let me see, let me see. Are these notable... Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Okay, but I know there was a point to this. So why the why the orphan in um in popular culture? Hold on, let me find this shit. All right, here's a damn article I was looking at. Okay, uh, Luke Skywalker, James Bond, Harry Potter, Superman, Batman, Spider Man. Um, a lot of these people are orphans, and why is that? Well. It's really, really interesting in film. I think there's a reason orphans are used in storytelling. A lot of that is to obviously for story to be created. It's a lot easier when the character has no ties to a mother and father like Harry Potter. Uh, You know, if he had a sensible mommy and daddy, they probably wouldn't let him go off and fight Voldemort. (laughs) Um, So it it does help as a storytelling mechanism to have an orphan. And there's also the orphan mythology of like um, Moses, right? Down the river and Pharaoh, whatever the fuck. Anyway, the orphan generally rises and becomes a hero with Spider-Man, Superman. And when I mean orphan, I don't, sometimes the parents aren't necessarily killed. Maybe we don't know where the parents are. The parents are absent. The parents are just not around. And the orphan mythology is... um, Oh man, I think it's the fucking coolest thing. I think a lot of us feel like orphans. I think I'll I'll, I'll start there. Um, the orphan is is a world without parents, right? We're left to our own devices to understand and confront danger in the world, and and the the orphan is a hero because they're self reliant. That kind of represents the adult, right? The adult ability to be creative and resourceful, and. Um, and I think those of us that have grown up feeling orphaned, maybe you didn't have stellar people around you to raise you. There's great power in that. And I, and I, I say that because uh, if you feel orphaned, there's no need to be bummed about it, right? It's the Wayne Dyer thing of, look how cool it is that there are no parents, that we can, we're not limited by what mommy and daddy want for us. And I guess I invite 2017 to embrace the orphan mythology for for those of us that feel 
that there is no blueprint for something positive. And maybe that's really liberating to create a blueprint for ourselves of what the light, our lives should look like. And I, that's why I like orphan mythology. Harry Potter is a wonderful hero. He, he defies his, the aunt and uncle that he's staying with those slovenly, right? The fat um, cousin or whatever. He gets the invitation to Hogwarts and he goes and he persists and he, he slays the big dragon of Voldemort. And, uh, and I think that's wonderful. The, the idea that, um, you know, you're not determined. And I think that's always been the point of this podcast is that uh, to not be determined by race, by sex, by gender, by by society, by anything. And I think what's wonderful about millennials is that they've embraced this already. And I feel like so many millennials are born knowing that, which is so um, special and exciting because I... I can't wait to see what they do create based on this identity that is a non-identity. You know, as much as we joke about the non-binary stuff uh, on your mom's house, which I listen, I think the the endless list of pronouns is a little ridiculous and the endless lists of genders that you can be like astral gendered. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not of the stars and the sky. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's, there's like two choices. Okay. There's male and female and some combination of both, some in-betweenness of what we know. You can't be the unknown. Okay. It's just not philosophically possible to be the unknown, the unknowable. Okay. Okay. You can't be dog gendered because you don't fucking really know what it's like to be a dog. You have an idea of what it's like to be a dog, but you can't say I'm, I am dog gendered. So there. Uh, but what I've learned from the this non-binary discussion and from people that are sexually, not so gendered fluid, fluidity, gender fluidity, is this wonderful element of self-defining, uh, self-definition, definition outside of societal bounds. And I think that's really interesting theoretically, socially, philosophically, the idea of the self-defined human um, and I think that's always been at least the aim of some of philosophy is to constantly redetermine what it is to be a human and redefine what it is to be a person, you know? Um, yeah, I think it's really cool. I think technology is helping. I think, uh, and I think these wacky LGBTQRSTUVers are opening our consciousness to what it is to be a person, what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, um, what it is to be to be human very fucking cool and uh, so yeah let's take our cues i think from these people who are fighting it feels terrible i mean i feel so bad because they just get shit on all the time that community it's so horrible i was listening to someone on um paul gilmartin's podcast mental illness happy hour i invite you to listen to paul gilmartin's mental illness happy hour a fantastic podcast that has every mental disorder on the planet he does interviews with people that have personal experience with a lot of things from you know sexual traumas to bipolar to you know addiction to everything he covers it all and it's such a wonderful public service i highly recommend that you guys listen to him there's a woman on there um Oh, who was talking about, made me so sad. He was, they were talking about how gay people and gender fluidity and all this stuff, they're not represented in popular culture. So when there is a movie or a program 
that mirrors what they're going through. It's like, oh, it's such a relief. And I, I get it, dude. I, I don't get it, but I, you know what I mean? When you see a story or a movie, like even this new Star Wars movie, like fucking fantastic, a female lead where I didn't see her tits once, thank God, who was strong and who was independent and young and, and beautiful, but not like that wasn't the focus of the thing is she's, you know, she could shoot a fucking gun, but it wasn't sexualized and fetishized. Like she was a soldier and it was, it's a great story. And you go, yes, finally, finally a story of, um, a story being told that I, that's a mirror. Like, yes, yes. And interestingly enough, I, I'm curious, are you non-binary? Are you a gender fluid person? Because I was listening to, um, this guy's podcast and there is a person transitioning from, from male to female young guy, 30 years old. And he was saying how on any given day he feels more masculine or feminine and this and that. And I'm thinking like, well, yeah, that's what it's like to be a woman right? in society. That's what it's like to be a straight woman. You know, I feel like I have to put on masculine characteristics to do my job. And then at home I put on the feminine here and there, you know, I'm, I would say I'm gender fluid guys that I'm, I'm in the ethers of, you know, I try not to define myself too much by, by the outside. I hope, oh my gosh, it's a constant battle, but I know, but I, I don't know. I don't understand. I need to talk to somebody that's gender fluid. Are you gender fluid? Do you, are you, do you identify as non-binary? Can you explain this to me, to our audience? I would love to speak to you. Please email me. That's deep podcast at gmail.com. And let's fucking understand what this non-binary stuff is. I'm very curious. It does feel like it's a, a, a movement in the millennial community. I feel like, um, this gender fluidity, um, discussion is being brought forth by them, which is really interesting and exciting. So email me. That's deeprowpodcast at gmail.com. Let's talk about that shit. And anything else you want to talk about, that's deeprowpodcast at gmail.com. Um, that's right. 2017 is, is about to happen. So sit down, man. Get weird in your meditation caves. Let's come up with some visions of what what uh, what we like to change? What's going to happen in 2017? What what areas uh, need some love? How about that? Okay, all right, guys, I gotta go. I got my Pilates pants on. I'm wearing a sports bra. I'm um, I'm ready to go make fitness. Oh god, I just can't think about it. That's the point. Just don't fucking think about it. Um, I'm sending you guys love, light. Have a, a wonderful week, and. Um, Let's do this again next week. Let's get, let's get fucking, let's get deep on it next week. Oh, I have to turn up the volume on this thing before I hit the song. All right. All right, guys. Um, stay black, everybody, as black as you can. I love you. <laughs> now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with <laughs> Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke 
or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.